I'm Jake Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. Customized one that's like for your rising sign. I do the weekly and my personal. The week ahead and your reading. Yes. Okay, I only do the your reading, and then I also do. But then the other one I do is I do the yearly, like the year yearly one, one where yeah. you do it's done in quarters. Yes, huge for me. It's huge. It's huge. What's your rising sign? Katie is literally. <laughs> <laughs> Katie is dead silent, like not even understanding the language. What's your rising sign? Capricorn. Wait, I thought you are you Cap Sun Cap Rising? Oh no no, that's, I think it's Scorpio. Actually, let me just check. Because I'm Cap Rising. Wait, and I'm a Scorpio. Are we f- inverse signs? Let's see. I am Aquarius Rising, Sun in Capricorn, Moon in Libra. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. You have Moon in Libra. I'm a Libra. But I only know that one because I've told you that Wait, I don't know what time birthday? I was born. September 26th. Oh, so, oh, great. Your birthday just went by. Yeah. But- I just don't know the time, the actual time I was born. I know we need to get your parents to get that birth certificate out. It's well, I've told you, our, our my childhood house burned down. Oh, like everything fuck. is gone. We do not have that. Can birth you call a hospital? That's what I was thinking, but it's like, am I going to do that? It's that important. <laughs> okay. I like, don't know to, how to, I call, I'm dead. to call a hospital sounds like stressful. I don't know. Do you know how popular astrology is? They're getting six calls a day minimum. <laughs> A hundred percent. Mostly from like cre- like the girlfriends of men that uh, <laughs> were born absolutely. at that hospital. I should call Blake's, where, where the hospital that Blake was born yeah. at and see like what his deal is. I, it is like so, I literally don't know how I would have gotten through the last year without my astrology like guy, like without Chani. She's so, like, she's so instrumental to me. It's insane. Is it, is, okay, I have a dumb question. No, it's not a dumb question. Is Chani her name? Yeah, Chani Nicholas. Okay. And she is a astrologer and she has an app and it like every week there's a podcast. There's like multiple podcasts that come out. There's one that's like an overall reading for the week, but then she does like a customized reading for each rising sign that just kind of talks about like what the week might look like and like vibes and stuff. It's just like incredibly grounding to me. Cause it's, it's not like, it's not like on Wednesday you're going to get hit by a car and then on Thursday you're getting married. It's like, right. but it's more just like about energies and like how you might be feeling. And it's done in a way that doesn't feel super prescriptive, but it is just like a nice grounding thing. Cause oftentimes for me, the biggest thing is it just sometimes gives, like if I'm feeling certain ways and then I like find out that like, Oh, well like this planet's doing this. Like, again, I literally don't care if it's real. Like I believe, I believe it's real. I feel like it really applies to my life. If I, if, anyone reaches out to me to talk about like scientifically why they don't think it's real, literally fuck, fuck off. off. I don't care. I don't care. It's like, but it's like, th- it's just grounding to me to be like, okay, I'm feeling really overwhelmed in this part of my life and Saturn's retrograde. So that makes sense. Like that is very healing it to me. Is my weekly med- I, I, I listen to it so that I can get through my week and know what's going to stress me out. What might not stress me out. It has like, these are the potential roadblocks and it could be like you tripped over a piece of gum 
or it could be you get hit by a car. It just, it, it's like it does. She doesn't. She's not specific as to what's going to happen. It's you. not like premonition, predictive, you know, like, like this divination. Is the of the week, and if this applies to you, what about it is happening to you? And just so you know, this could be stressful. And just that's why the whole Mars and retrograde thing was sort of like she's like, okay, guys, it's going to get soupy. You know, yeah. So you just kind of be prepared. It's been working for me since I downloaded it. I find it so helpful. It's awesome. I find it so helpful. I don't know why, but it's so helpful. And she's so soothing. She's well, soothing. I think it's like definitely because, and comparatively, like, because like there's, well, she's Canadian, but like there's the, the other apps are like the pattern and co-star. I feel like those are the big three, like astrology apps are like co-star, the pattern and Chani. And it's like co-star, like co-star will be like, watch out on Thursday. And it's like, I don't fucking need that shit. Like, I feel like I don't co-star has like a sense of humor to it. But I don't think it's healthy. Like, Channy yeah. is, like, Channy very much is, like, coming from a place of, like, I want everyone to feel good yeah. and, like, be the best they can be and take care of themselves. Like, it feels like it's truly, like, a tool for self-care. CoStar is, like, coming for you. That's, like, therapy. I like that. Yeah. It is, it is very therapeutic. It yeah. is. Should I probably also have a therapist? Yes. Right now I have an astrology app. Like, <laughs> when I get better insurance, and you know what? I'll get a therapist. Both is great. Both is great. Uh, both are great. <laughs> Both, both are, are great. great. I would love to have both. I mean, both. The ideal would be to have both. Saturn just went direct, so my finances should be looking up. I hopefully will be able to get a therapist soon. That's where I'm at. I actually, did I tell you I found a therapist in my network, which in New York is like actually That's impossible. incredible. I know. I, I can't believe it. Like it actually felt like the craziest. I luck. found a therapist in my network last year and then had to change health insurances. And mm. now it was like joking because like, there's that website, Alma. Have you ever used Alma? I don't think so. It's like one of those websites where you like enter your insurance and it's like, here's who available. And when oh, you put- Oh, I, I use when, like a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. When you put my jank ass insurance in there, it literally pulls up what looks like who's left at 4 a.m. at an ASU party. It's literally <laughs> like, it is literally like- that's so, so dark. crazy. It's like, okay, four of you are missing teeth. Like, <laughs> why is like, who, like, there's literally, I remember like I did it. Like, I literally checked the other day to be like, is there anyone? One of them like doesn't have a profile photo. I'm like, babe, like you gotta throw up a profile photo. You are a therapist. Like, I need to see who you are. Like, it's just like crazy. Like, I just, I have, my insurance is such a joke. I hate health insurance so much. It's ridiculous. It's so bad. Oh my God. That's so It's just like so stupid. Without a profile picture. Yeah, and also like they don't know how to upload one. And then it's like therapy without without insurance is like four hundred dollars. Like, what are you talking about? It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so, crazy. and can I be fucking rude for a second? Yes. <laughs> I'm fun to talk to for an hour. I should get to pay less. <laughs> I know true. for a fact That's a therapist, the if I'm on a therapist, this is narcissistic <laughs> as fuck, but I'm, I'm sorry. If a, ther <laughs> if, if a therapist is looking at their calendar for the day and I'm on it, they're like, well, that one will be fun. Well, I should have a lower copay. Okay. I, I'm dead fucking serious. If you're a therapist out there and you want to have me as a client, <laughs> give me a call. I'll pay you 12 bucks. Like I, <laughs> I need fucking help and I will be fun about it. Not a lot of people get to see me cry. I'll cry. <laughs> Okay? Charge me less. I'm dead fucking serious. <laughs> I think I might do this as a stand-up bit. This is going well with you too. I feel like I feel like it's part partly I mean pay, people pay to hear you talk for That's an what hour. I'm saying. So I pay they're getting a free show, really. I pay my rent <laughs> with this fucking annoying voice and these opinions. <laughs> Why am I now suddenly pay paying someone three hundred dollars <laughs> to get a private session? 
completely counterintuitive. I, I do think there should be some sort of middle ground there. Like, you know, they're getting something out of it. You're getting something out of it. Maybe you, you just kind of like buy her, buy her a muffin or something. Buy him a muffin. Oh, my God. I'll show up with like two sweet green salads and we can just hang out. Like, right. that's fine. Gift card. I'll pay for therapy with a gift card. $300? I think you just need a wise friend is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you just need like a friend to have like lunch with. <laughs> No, but you do need someone impartial who's not involved in your life. That's like true. you no, do need that. That's true. Have you ever been in have you ever been in therapy? I'm in therapy. Okay. Have in you my ever, network. Have you ever oh right, you just said that. Have you ever run into your therapist in public? No. Okay, it's one of the most uncomfortable things that ever happened to you. I ran into my therapist on the subway once and it was like really intense. Oh my god. No, I don't think my therapist is like actually allowed to exist outside the office. No, I know. I ran into my therapist on the subway because I had a therapist for years when I was still on my parents' insurance and it was like really nice. Uh-huh. And I loved her. I would like go back to see her in a heartbeat. But one time I like saw her on the subway and it was like one of, it was actually so destabilizing because like she did therapy out of her home. She had like a, she had like an office room in her home mm-hmm. and she would wear like very like plain, like J Jill catalog sort of clothes. Like mm-hmm. she looked nice, but like there was no sort of like trendiness to it. And then I'm like on the subway one day and I'm like looking at this woman who is in like these like chic cargo pants and like a fun top and these like cute boots and she's on her phone and I'm like, why does this woman look so familiar? Why does this woman look so familiar? Then always it's my fucking therapist looking oh, cute as hell. And I was like, whoa. And I like, we made eye contact and she was like, hi. And then just like got off the train and I was like, I have to take a shower. I'm freaking out. That was like so crazy. I feel really uncomfortable about the fact that she had such good sense of style. That, But like, she doesn't bring that to the therapy. She's right. like, I go neutral for that. Right. I was like, okay, this like, is like so Why are you like, hiding so that from your patients? I know. <laughs> that seems sketchy. It is hard to not ask your therapist like about them. You know what I mean? Oh my God, you don't even understand. One time halfway into therapy, one time like after like I'd been in therapy for like a year, she walked into, into she walked into therapy, like into the room with a mug that had my name on it. And I went, wait, what? And she was like, what? And I was like, your mug. And she was like, oh my God, this is, I'm really sorry. I didn't even realize this. My son is named Jake. And I was like, you have a son named Jake and I'm finding this out like a year in? Yeah. Okay, wait, what were you going to say about your therapist? Is your therapist hot? She's well, she's she's pretty, but like it's more the fact that like she's so like elusive. Like I've tried to ask questions. Oh, I mean, they literally don't want to talk. She's so about- good at at like getting around it in a polite way, and I'm like, I want to learn that skill because that is like what I want to use when I'm out at a bar and someone's trying to like talk to me and annoying me. You know what I mean? Like, why do the, you want to ask that question? Like, yeah, like, like, w- like, what do you think that that's coming from that you're so curious about, like? me and what I'm interested in. Like maybe you should I look into that. that. Though, Cause it's like, I'm curious cause I sit with you and I tell you about every single aspect of my life, Cheryl. Right. It's why I'm curious. Right. Drives me nuts. You know, literally everything about everything, me. everything, everything. Everything. <laughs> I, I'm actually, here's what I think. Cause okay. Obviously like they have like their little, cause I had never done therapy until like recently. Congrats. That's a huge step. Thank you. Um, but like, you know how, like, I didn't know like that it was just, that it was like not just in the movies that they have like the little clipboard and they like write stuff down. Oh my God. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like the amount of money I would pay to like see what she's writing down. Like part of me thinks she's just like making those like, um, 3d, like little boxes that you used to do. Like (laughs) she's drawing those S's that (laughs) you start with like three lines. (laughs) But part of me is like, she's just like writing down like, okay, this girl, like, uh, like, I don't even know. Like, I'm like, I, I would just pay so much money to like, see what's actually written on that. I used to think I would be a really good therapist. Like when I was younger, I was like, if I didn't want to go into entertainment, I would like be a therapist. And now- I could see that. mm, Yeah, and I could see it too. And now as someone who's like gone through life realizing like what, how much it labored is like, like when you have a friend who like 
is going won't stop talking about an ex that you're like, I can't hear about Billy anymore or I'm going to kill myself. You know what I mean? Like imagine having to talk to like six of those people in one day who are like still, I would like, yeah. Like, and you can't be like, shut the fuck up. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, you can't be like, girl, pull yourself together. Like, this was a year ago. And right, he and those people was ugly. should pay $400 a session. Yes, those Me- people should. <laughs> My problems are interesting. <laughs> fascinating. Are you kidding? Absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Oh Wait, God. but imagine finding out that your therapist charges you more because they don't think you're interesting. Like, imagine finding out that you pay more than another one of their clients because they think another client's interesting. I that do. would be the most devastating. I do like the idea of like a sliding scale. Like, and, and they're like, okay, here's my income information based on sliding scale. It's like, oh no, no, it's an audition. It's like it's after the first, you know how you have to do like a, an initial an intake? intake? It's like, okay, like this person sucks. Hey, so based Times on your 10. personality, it's going to be $500 a session. It's all about like how much emotional energy it's going to take me to talk to you. Oh my God. I mean, I think that's fair. It's obviously problematic and fucked up, but I do think it's fair. No, I, I don't know of... that it's right, but it is fair. I think more jobs should be like that in general. Like, I think that if you're rooted at a restaurant, your food should cost more. I think that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what else, but I, I feel like there's other professions this could work in. Oh yeah. If you're a rooted at a restaurant, you should have to pay more for everything and nothing should taste good. Yeah. The closest thing we ever got to that was when I worked at that restaurant that I don't name. Mm-hmm. Um, if people were rude at breakfast, we would give them decaf, like over and over and over again. Like they were just not getting caffeinated. Wait, can I tell you something insane? Please. So one of my friends, she's not even like addicted to coffee. She's normal. Like the rest of us are addicted to coffee. Like we drink a couple cups a day or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So her ex-boyfriend, who's a psycho, decided like it wasn't good for her to like be addicted to caffeine. Not his decision to make. Right, of course. But they, at the time, were like living together. So he would, he switched all her coffee with decaf to like see if she would notice, but like didn't tell her that that he was doing this. So like she just started like having these like- I would, I've, that, I would break up with that person so fast. Oh my God. They did break up. Thank God. <laughs> Good. If that my friend did that, I would be like, we, you break up with him or we're, no, we're she, done. It's one like, of those things she like so didn't tell crazy. us until after they broke up. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like, that's how you know it was bad. Yeah. Wait, that's fucking crazy. Sorry, yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, she's funny yelling so you no, can't tell the story. It's literally insane. And like, I guess like she started getting like pounding headaches cause like she's addicted to caffeine. And, and she was like, okay, like I don't know why, but I'm so tired and my head is killing me. And he was like, oh wow. I wanted to see if like you would actually notice, but like I, did this and she was like what the fuck are you talking about like you don't do that to somebody like in the middle of a work week like that's so ins or ever or just like what like- i'm not your lab rat right exactly he's like experimenting on her i'm like oh my god i would be so fucking angry yeah oh i swapped you believe out that? your coffee <laughs> Like you're not you're playing god with my liter- like with my breakfast drinks. okay i swapped out your <laughs> prescription i swapped <laughs> You've been taking your Lexapro's been Advil. Suck a dick. Like fuck off. That's, Literally, you don't get to do no, that. No, I know. Obviously, you don't get to do that. Okay, I'm mad now. So we can end the we can end the intro and get to the episode. Perfect. <laughs> um, this episode is really good for those of you who love a gossip who love, like, we really, this is one of my friends that I really, we get down. The last time I saw her was at a comedy show. The last time I saw her was at a comedy show at Club Coming. I hadn't seen her in like a month and a half. She looked at me and the first thing she said was, I have tea. <laughs> I love this woman so much. She's an incredible comedian. She's an incredible actress. She's so talented. Please enjoy me going out 
with Jess Henderson. <laughs> Everything sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel good. Okay, this is why I love going out with you. You talk shit. <laughs> okay, I do. I do. I do. And you know what? I'm actually sort of like reframing. I used to feel really guilty. Like, like, oh, you can't, don't ever say anything bad about people. Blah, 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 blah. And then, or like gossip is bad. Don't, you know how society always has these like 100%. golden rules. And then I realized <laughs> like everything, it's like institutionally racist. And like the whole point of gossip and the birth of gossip was to com- uh, keep your community safe. Yes, exactly. So now it's like, no, these people deserve to be shit talked because what they did was fucked up. Also, like, I'm always okay to go back and apologize if I was wrong. 100%. I'm totally fine to do that. And I think that we should give everyone more permission to, like, not... For for both things to be true. Like, talking shit and also being wrong. But, like... It's also, like... It, to me, it's, like, actually, it's, like, abstinence-only education. Mm-hmm. Where it's, like... Exactly. It's, like, exactly. people are gonna talk shit. Mm-hmm. People are gonna talk shit. Mm-hmm. I'm always gonna talk shit. Yeah. So it's, like, why are we... It would be better to train people to... One, talk shit in a way that is the productive. least productive. One, productive. Two, the least likely to like produce misinformation or str- con- like misconstrue truths. And three, and there, I had a third one and it was good. Hold on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was, and three was, oh, and be able to suss out in other people what they're, if they're being, if like, like being able to kind of comb through gossip with a fine tooth comb and be like, that seems legitimate to me. I don't think I believe that. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like you yes. need to be able to suss that out. Yes, because this is, and this is also something that I've talked to my therapist about because I was feeling like literally every week in therapy would be a good 10 minutes of me like keening and like reading my garments about, oh, I said all these things about this person, but you know, they have this and this going on. So maybe I shouldn't say these terrible things. And finally, my therapist was like, it's really misogynistic, like the definition of gossiping, the way they think it's just women, and it's how you keep your community safe. Hold on, my ear itches. Oh, that felt amazing. Oh, good. My lock was like stuck inside my ear. Um, (laughs) Oh, yep, that'll happen. (laughs) And I I believe in it. I believe in it. And especially in our industry. It's like, first of all, if you think that agents and managers and aren't talking to each other, no. wrong. But for some reason, we won't talk to each other about, like, say we had a bad meeting with someone. Or, like, 100%. it's always like, ooh, don't talk, don't talk about because you never know how it's going to get back. And I'm like, fuck that. I stand beside what I say. And when I'm wrong, like, it fucking sucks when I'm wrong, but I know that I will, like, apologize and move. So the thing is, like, with defamation, you can't be charged with defam- defamation if it's true. You cannot mm-hmm. defame someone with the truth. Mm-hmm. So when you charge someone with defamation, your burden is truly to prove that what they defamed you with is untrue. Right. And so it's like, if you're talking shit, but it's true, it's not shit. Exactly. But this is why I get so excited whenever you and I are going out or I know <laughs> that we're going to do a show and then go out because I'm like, we're not going to, because I don't, I hate small talk. And yes. so I'm like, I'm like, let's really get down to the brass tacks. I hate small talk. It. I hate small talk. I want to know like what your fears are, what like what you hate, like what is really going on. Yeah. I I value that. And I feel like a lot of times it shows people want to be polite or like, that's also how I quickly figured out who in the comedy scene to fuck with. 100%. It was literally because people are willing to talk shit or like talk the truth. Also money, 
Money. 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 Like, I am so grateful for the people that were willing to be like, they don't pay because this is how much I get paid. And yeah, shit talk. Yeah. And it's like, it's also like, I used to be someone, like when I was younger, I was very much someone who was like, I'm going to be as people, ple- like people pleasing as possible. I don't want anyone to be mad at me. I mm-hmm. want to, and I will be whatever you want me to be mm-hmm. to give me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And no one gives those people opportunities because they're nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I literally was nothing. I was just whatever people needed me to be. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't like, listen, like I was, I was just like taking on and I wasn't putting out. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, like have opinions. Say have a, like have opinions. Say when someone sucks. Say when they don't. Yeah. Um, and call people out when they do bullshit. Yeah. And I also feel like that's how, like, to take it back to the industry. That's how you get better representation that like understands you because they know what you stand for. Hundred percent. Like, oh, I know this job wouldn't like work. There's times when my manager is like, you would not fit in that writers' room because you. Are like this, this, and this, and I'm like, you know what? Tough but fair. Like, no, one hundred percent. I won't put up with somebody like just taking my whole, like, just out of nowhere, making me work a fifteen hour day. Like, yeah, when it's not even my work. Like, yeah, no, one hundred percent. Okay, wait. So when we go out, it's normally comedy shows. Like, we're mm-hmm. doing a comedy show, and then mm-hmm. we go out after. Is that how you're going out most of the time? No. Good. No. <laughs> no. That's really good. Most of the time, I like sort of re have recommitted myself to hanging out with like my community and most of the time when I go out it's like a like queer black event or like a gay bar mm-hmm. um or it's specific like friend dates that's yeah. how I like to go out I love a little romantic friend date yeah so no basically avoiding all small talk mm-hmm. like in oh. communities where it's like we can just get down to talking about yeah what we need just to talk get about. down to talking have you wait this I don't know about you how long have you been openly queer oh not very well I was like, has it been always or was it new? No, it hasn't been always. But it's not new either. It's not new. It's always evolving. I think I came out, I didn't have a big like, I'm coming out. My my whole life I've always liked uh, women and my, my friends always knew that that was like something that I uh, was open to. Mm-hmm. And then I told my parents, I think when I was like 28, Nice. Did you, cause this is a thing I've been like honestly dealing with in mm-hmm. my, like this has been a big thing I've been like working through in the past like few years is I, in my early twenties and definitely like in, I think it started because I went to a college where it was mostly straight people mm-hmm. or at least mostly straight presenting people. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mo- and then like working in restaurants and like, I don't, and like just kind of how like the Plinko of my life played out is like, for like all of my teens and most of my early twenties, I was in like I did not go to queer spaces. Like mm-hmm. I was a I was like a gay bar guy who didn't go to gay bars, not because I was against it, but because like that wasn't the friend group I had. And then right. like, at some point, it was like I didn't feel comfortable because I was like I don't know anyone there. And now right. it's like I there are people my age who are are part of that scene, and I feel ostracized from it. Mm-hmm. And it like the, I think I still do. You feel? Did you have that, or were you, when did you enter the queer spaces that you're kind of talking about? So I. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I felt, um, and I think it's part of the reason why I came out to my parents when I was 28, because it became a priority for me. Yeah. And I knew that I was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be hard, but I was going to be okay if my parents disowned me. Yeah. Like I fully prepared for them to be like, forget any help we ever gave you. And I mean, that was the complete opposite response. Thank God. Um, yes. Thank God. Um, 
And I have always, I have always felt a little on the outside of not necessarily the gay community, but the black community based on how I grew up. And I grew up in the South, which is incredibly segregated. Mm-hmm. And I grew up um, in Florida, which is a whole nother layer. I mean, I grew up all over, but I spent the most amount of time in Florida. And uh, I just realized that a lot of it was in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like the ostracization that I felt was because I had a lot of internalized like anti-blackness myself based on yep. going to private school and being the only black kid and like be- being constantly told that I wasn't like black, other black people. Oh, yeah, yeah, like like black enough or like other black people or I was like better than other black people because yeah. I talked a certain way <sighs> and it just re- like very recently occurred to me that the only people that are really preaching that stuff are people outside the community. Yeah. And once you show up, everyone is just so happy that you're there. And it's not about where you've been before or how long it took you to get there. It's like show up and you're, you're always, everyone's always ready to receive you. So. Because I think the people at the true center of the community, be it of any community of minority mm -hmm. or like, I, I guess better like to say like community of identity. Yes. Like the people at the center of that, are true, I think are almost always true believers of like, if this is your identity, you're a part. Exactly. And like nothing else, because like I think that's what I experienced with the queer community was like, I had all of these lists of reasons and I'm a faggot. Like, look, (laughs) you can hear me talk. Like, I'm gay. Like, it's not like I'm like some like rugby playing, Mm -hmm. like deep voice. Like, I'm, but like I had all of these reasons where I was like, I don't fit there. Mm -hmm. And I've, and then it was like, it then it wasn't like, I don't fit there. It's like, it's too late for me because I Mm -hmm. realized I fit there too late. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, Oh wait, no, I'm intrinsically a part of this. And it's intrinsically a part of me. So, and the people who are the best part of this community are welcoming me in. Are welcoming you in and it doesn't fucking matter. And I think when you internalize these lists, you start projecting that experience too. And you, you ostracize yourself. It's something that, um, like I, uh, what my ex was white and it was something that I constantly thought about all the time. Like, Oh my black people are going to see this and think that I don't want to date uh, other black queers. And that's not true. Or like, I'm not going to be welcomed into the blackest parts of my community because of this. And the truth was, first of all, I was the only one like that's your, your ego talking. No like, one's thinking about you. Yeah. Like, like I was the, <laughs> yeah. Like 100%. I'm the only one that's breaking down this relationship like this. hundred percent. Also like get to know me. And if yep. you knew me, the things that are, uh, that, that do happen and are very valid with some black people in interracial relationships, you'll know that that's not happening in mine. Um, and yeah, I would say it would take about 2.5 seconds talking to Jess Henderson before you before you could possibly think. Yeah. I bet they only date white people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I just realized, like, I'm the only one that's thinking about me like that. And when I show up and I'm authentically myself, like, nobody gives a fuck. Like, I remember I used to announce it to people, and they'd be like, okay. Announce well, what? That you're like, into black people? Or not. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm yes, genuinely, I was just genuinely I w- trying to. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because it's like when it's put out like that, it's like, yes, yes, I did announce that. And also I would tell people like, oh, my, my partner, she's white. Uh, and everyone 
everyone without fail would be like, okay, like, are you happy? (laughs) (laughs) Is she she a good girlfriend? (laughs) Like, girl, like, what you doing all this for? Like, let's dance. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it was a really um, interesting experience where I realized that ultimately I was creating this narration because of the way I grew up. Um, yeah, and that's not for my community to hold. It's my community holds me, and they sh- they show up for me. And I love um, black queer people; they're the best. Where have you found that community in New York? Um, I have found it like within comedy, like yeah. talking to other gay black comics and going to like poppy juice parties or um, brown. Oh God. Forgive me, I fuck up all the names all the time. So I did a brown sugar party. There's so many things. You got poppy juice, right? That's the name of that party. Yeah, that's because <laughs> I'm like, I've looked at that for years. Um, wet Noise, not Wet Noise, sorry, Gush. Wet Noise is another party, but it's not necessarily um, QPOC. But it's fine, it's fine. It's for the girls, <laughs> it's for the girls. Um, so it was in party spaces. It was in, in party spaces and in In party spaces. spaces and like seeking out my identity in a community that I love, which is comedy. Yeah. Um, and like all over Brooklyn. Yeah. I feel like all of Brooklyn is my gay black playground. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, I, I'm so happy that you had that experience mm-hmm. and I, I feel like my, and obviously like, I don't want to be like constantly comparing my experience at navigating queerness with your experience of navigating queerness within being POC as well, because Mm -hmm. they're like wildly different, like undeniably. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like my comedy experience in the comedy community further ostracized me and initially. Well, I was going to, I I was going to say yes. I was also going to piggyback on that about, about like what, where the industry that we're in and what we love. Yeah like she who cannot be named UCB is um, what <laughs> was predominantly straight and white. And it yeah. wasn't until very recently that yeah. it has become, you know, profitable enough for people yeah. to platform it. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I totally get that. Cause I used to think, Oh, um, I remember telling my friend Mila, like, Oh, I have so many white friends because I do comedy. And Mila was like, yeah, but there's just as many black people doing comedy, too. And it's true. Yeah. And I'm like, you right. Yeah. (laughs) In my head again. Yeah. And it's like, where do you. Yeah. It's it gets so. Fucked up. It gets Mm -hmm. so fucked up because like I think I thought for a long time, oh, the way I'm funny is only funny to straight people because gay people can see through it or Mm -hmm. gay people won't Mm -hmm. get like. And I truly hate that I ever felt that. And yeah. I hate that that was how I was conditioned because for so long, me being funny was a way to earn. Um, place. Earn place. Yeah, I 100% identify with that. Like the me being funny was how I disarmed racist people in the South yep. and like made them realize that I wasn't threatening or dangerous. It's how I earned my spot like amongst all my pretty white friends when we'd go, like, when I first moved to New York, every single roommate I ever had was, like, very thin, white, rich. All of them worked at, like, the Soho Grand yep. and the Gantavort. So I would go out with them and, like, party promoters. And the way I earned my spot, because I was not only black, but also fat, 
was that was, she's really funny. Yeah, was that really fucking intense? Because like we've talked about like the promoter circuit and like mm-hmm. doing that whole thing, and like obviously as like a six foot, two hundred pound gay man, I've yeah. never done that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, was that do having that experience with that being your path in it? Was that like really intense? Were you? I'm sure you were quite young. I was young. I didn't. I think it really contributed to me having to unlearn a lot of stuff about yeah. like what was beautiful and what what made me worthy. Um, looking back on it, it really fucked with my self-esteem. Yeah. 100%. And I, that's like when I never really, I never had bad self-esteem until people would apologize to me about things about myself. Like, Whoa, oh, you okay. have such a beautiful face. Or like you're so brave. Like I love that you wear whatever you want, and that you. I love like, that you're out here with the rest of us. Yes, yeah, exactly. That. And then I'd be like, wait, why? Like, what? Or I, I've always been like an athletic person. People coming up to me at the gym and be like, you're so inspiring, and and that sort of. Or even the people, like the people I lived with, being like, oh, you know, I thought basically that you were going to be fat and lazy, and you're the complete opposite of that. Um, that really internalized a lot of. Um, of course it did. Yeah, a lot of self-hatred. It yeah, so it was it was intense, but it also was I I have a really good like lifelong friend from that experience. I went to her wedding. She's beautiful, she's wonderful, but and it, like the going to the Gantivore and like being I'll never forget I went to a dinner. I also have always been the friend that you bring that my friends would bring me along. When parents when, are in town? When parents oh. are in town, also when creepy guys want to take you out, but you don't know how to say no. Like, I've also been that friend, too. So I've seen a lot of... That shit's fucking labor. Like, it's labor, and I've seen a lot of things now that I'm like, whoa, that really was not okay. Like, that was some Harvey Weinstein. Like, I have met many men like that, and I have... No, like left places knowing like my friend would have been assaulted if I, if she didn't bring me. And it's so, I, I've seen firsthand how women make excuses for men, um, how power um, sh- totally shifts the narrative. And that used to, I've spent a lot of time in those days being very confused, thinking that I was dumb and being very angry. And I realized, yeah. no, I was just living my divine truth being being like a gay black av- advocate before I even fucking knew what that was. Yeah. Um it was like intrinsic. Yeah. So it sounds to me like validly so like your earlier times like in New York going out was a source of trauma probably yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I would venture to guess based on the time we've spent together that is not the case now. No. Can you I'm just curious how and that's like one Hugely impressive to me. That's really, that sounds like taking, like taking a space and an activity that was like a source of pain and being like, I'm not going to like forego this rather. I'm going to retool it and find a way to have this be where I I realized like, oh, I'm not, I feel like I'm going to cry. I realized I'm like, I'm not crazy. I'm not stupid. I'm just literally hanging out with people like straight, rich, white people. And, you know, I've met a lot in my lifetime but the community and the way they move, especially the New York crowd, is scary. And um, I, I was like, I have to unlearn all of these things 
that I've been constantly told that are okay and create my own experience. Do you and th- I'm having a thought that, so it might not be articulate because I'm like thinking it for the first time, but That's do you okay. think part of it is like, there's something so scary about, like, I think sometimes you look at the people who are actually how you feel intrinsically who you are and the mm-hmm. people you actually feel like you might be like. Mm-hmm. And there, I feel like in times I've had a rejection to those people and been like, no, that space is not for me. I don't want to be a part of that. And I think I wonder if part of it is on some really deep level. It's the thought that like, because if I don't make it in that space, I won't be able to make it yes. like there's nothing left. Well, everyone is a mirror, right? Yeah. Everyone is a mirror. Um, and there is this sort of control that you can maintain when you stay in spaces where you know where, like what everything is right and wrong about it and where you can kind of keep the moral superiority. And you know how you are being viewed. Yes. I know if I'm the funny gay guy in mm-hmm. the group, mm-hmm. I know the whole script. Yeah, the whole script, how to play it, and it's a way to keep safe. Yes. But when you are around, it, it's, again, it's what it means to really live life, which is full of mistakes, triumphs and it's really fucking scary to sort of face yourself i talk about this in my comedy it is so scary growth facing yourself is frightening because it's like well if i'm unhappy here or if i uh like fail here what does that say about me because we're constantly trying to intellectualize our lived spiritual experience yeah and if i try to join the place where i actually want to be among like people I feel like actually look like who I am or mm-hmm. behave or doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. If I try and fail, then I'll never get it. Mm-hmm. And that's so scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. But the truth is failing and all of this darkness in life is just as powerful and beautiful as your successes and as your ups. But we are taught intrinsically by society that it's all about the wins. It's all yeah. about the positivity. It's also spiritually like I... You know, I'm a practitioner and I see a lot of people preach like don't don't work with um, like don't work with the left hand. Don't work with dark magic, blah, blah, blah. Um, Don't contact dark spirits. But the truth, first of all, if you're scared, just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Just say that. But the truth is that is life. It is dark and light. It is not just about it's not just about the light. And when we start to respect the darkness in us, respect the ego in us. I think that we become, it's, it's your medicine wheel, right? When you know your quote unquote weaknesses and your demons, those things cannot be poked at and used against you and weaponized against you because you know your fucking truth. Yep. And that's what you get when you are in spaces with people of shared identity and experience. I also think it's important to, you know, learn about other people's opinions and other experiences. I'm not trying to preach like segregation here, but, <laughs> but it is, it is important to have your community. That is, it is such, that is like the, and I mean, it's humanity. So that's like, that's, there's always gray areas and the constant questions like that. But that is like one of, I think, especially in terms of going, going out and nightlife and restaurants and bars is that line of, like the it, um, the imp- 
towing the line of having spaces that are for specific people mm -hmm. and how sacred that is, mm -hmm. but then also the blending of those spaces or someone who's not of that community being welcomed in under certain certain circumstances or whatever, right. like navigating that because it always ends, I feel like it always tends to swing towards, eventually they are subsumed and then the yeah. new spaces have to be found because right. whiteness is a virus like right. that just like eventually it takes it over. Yeah, I do think, I do and it's think whiteness it, and it's whiteness above all also. Like, right. Yeah. Right. I do think that it is. In, I'm for spaces and that are POC only, not even POC, but like black only spaces. That's important. And they will always be important as long as the most underserved people are like black people and uh, black trans women. And until we have some sort of equality, th that will always be important. I also believe that the revolution cannot happen without white allies and like real white people doing the work. And I will also say that I can count on, I'm 33, yeah, I'm 33, 32, 33, don't remember. It's not I can, I can count on one hand the amount of white people I know that are willing to divorce their whiteness, their comfortability to show up for black people. And I, I know a lot. You do. <laughs> I know a, a ton. So I just want to put that in perspective. Like I do think that there are some good white allies, but there's very, 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 very few. Because you're saying it takes true. Because it takes a lot. It yeah. takes a lot to truly divorce from whiteness takes a lot. And I... And it's not a singular moment of like, I am divorced It's not a singular moment. Ow. And it is something that I ultimately see creep back up. And, and I'll watch people that I'm like, I know you know better, but you will choose your whiteness over everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also like doing that without having asking black people to do the labor of explaining like, it. Educating, <laughs> explaining, yeah. making you feel good about what you've done. Um, and I, yeah, it, it's always interesting to me <laughs> to see the amount of white people that are really think that they're advocates. But then I think, well, look at your life and look at the black friends that you have or like, I'm your only black friend. You can't also be, I cannot also be your only black friend and you think that you're doing all of this work. Like where the work starts is much more closer to you than I think a lot of people think. Yeah, because it's internal. Yes, yes. I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't outwardly, um, you know, I'm not a racist person from the South. Yeah. I'm not this, I'm not that. Like it's, we live in a society of such extremes where it's this or this. Um, there's no nuance. And I'm, you know, you can, I think the best, sorry, I'm like, no. I have ADD, so I'm talking all over the place. I think the I best example I can think of is when I um, used to babysit and I would see different types of, you know, I see everyone, different types of parents, people reading lots of anti-racist literature. Yeah. Um, but you cut my hours at the last minute, you pay me late, you don't respect what time I need to be gone, your kid is super disrespectful to me. It's like, that's actually your anti-racist work. Um, work, is how you're treating me in your life. Not these books that you buy, not these events that you go to, not buying black. Like, how are you 
or like how are you showing up for the neighborhood that you're gentrifying? Yes. Like, do you know your community uh, leaders? And like, I understand to a certain extent that like inflation is a thing and New York is becoming less and less affordable. So people are moving to places that are more affordable. But when you are rich enough to buy uh, an apartment, but you can only get an apartment in Crown Heights, and then you have parties bringing in like nothing but white people to the neighborhood, and you're buying your groceries from Amazon instead of from the grocery store across your street. Yep. Like, what are you doing? Do you know where you live? Do you know who your community leaders are? Do you know who, what the people in your community are saying that need to change? Like, how do you show up? And it's like, I think about that a lot, like, because I think people, you, a pe- uh, as someone who will exist in like, a, find myself in situations where it's only white people, mm-hmm. people will all, I have been in a situation where people then will start to talk about how like, they feel bad about gentrifying. Like mm-hmm. it's this thing of like, okay, now that we're all here, yeah. like let's talk about how we feel bad about we're gentrifying, but we can't help it because we can't afford it. And it's like, that's not it. That's because that's not the conversation. That's not the conversation because no one's expecting you to be able to afford to move to fucking Park Avenue and mm-hmm. like not be a gentrifying. But the point is, is it's like, it's not about whether or not you live here because like I, I trust me, I get it. I mm-hmm. want it. And I'm also not perfect, but I'm like, I wanted to move to New York too. And I had to move to a neighborhood. Every neighborhood I've lived in is traditionally, uh, you know what I mean? I yeah. lived in Washington Heights and then I lived in Crown Heights and I'm in yeah. Bedside. It's like Dominican, black, black. Like those yes. are two, like those are those neighborhoods. Yeah. But it's like, you need to look into what, how can you give back? What are the mutual yeah. aids? Like, what are you dis? What did you displace by moving here? What right. is? Where are you spending? And your how money? are you acting when you're on the street? Like, are you, for instance, there are certain like neighborhood social when you're paying attention social courtesies that you should respect. Like, are you calling a noise complaint on the Dominican man that's playing his music at three in the morning? Like those types of things. Um, are you moving like? If you know that there's a guy in your neighborhood that always saves his parking spot with a traffic cone, are you getting pissed off moving his traffic cone and parking your car there? Like, like, and how- also, do you know what I think a lot? Of, another big part of it is is are there conversations be, like because um, you're you're gonna have inconveniences when you live in a neighborhood, especially when it's like you're not of the culture that is probably in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Are you unwilling to have conversations with those people directly because you're intimidated by them because exactly. you're afraid of them, and then are going? Up to management, yes. essentially escalating, calling three one one noise complaints. Go downstairs or, and talk to the man. Yeah, and like, obviously, I'm speaking with that as a privilege of like a man of size. Like, obviously, I'm not. I understand mm-hmm. that not everyone is going to feel comfortable and rightly so going downstairs and like talking to someone at three in the morning. But like, it is that thing of like, is there a way to have this conversation? Yeah, you know, in a way that's a, not as violent. Yeah, um, and also understanding like what, like what neighborhood you're in. Totally. Um, have you, because you've lived in Harlem for a while now, right? Yeah. Do you have places in Harlem that you like to go out to? Like, do you feel like there are, a lo- like, bars, restaurants, like, places where you have found community in Harlem? So my issue with Harlem is that there isn't a gay, like, queer, femme, trans, black scene. Um, there's, like, gay, like, cis scenes, kind of. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to those bars. When I go out to Harlem, I like to go to like Bell, and um, there's some like really uh, nice bars and yeah. like rock uh, bars, cocktail places. But 
in terms of going out, like partying, it's I go to like Bed Stuy and Crown Heights. Nice. Um, don't ask me the names of those warehouses and spaces that I go to. <laughs> but that that is more that is more of the scene that I, where I see myself, it, especially um, like spiritually and like what I practice. I see that in Brooklyn which is new. I didn't know. Like my understanding of Brooklyn for a really long time was just white and queer because of the comedy because scene. Because of Williamsburg. Yeah, yeah, and because of the comedy scene. And when I lived, sorry, when I lived, when I first moved to New York, I did leave, leave. <laughs> I did live in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn Heights off of Clark Street. Wow. And that was, also it was not what it is today. Like nothing was out there. Yeah. Dumbo was like completely. Dumbo's you know, a WeWork now and it used to be like a, it yeah. used to be like a just cobblestone streets. Yeah. I used to love walking um, the promenade and then walking down to Dumbo and standing in like the open warehouse spaces, which is kind of dangerous, but I did it anyways. And like the merry-go-round was broke down as fuck. You couldn't ride it. <laughs> um, and then you just had the water there, like bricks and then water, no beach. And now I, it's like, I think I left Clark street when they first posted the announcement that they were going to build out the promenade more. The Brooklyn Bridge Promenade, mm -hmm. which is, it's gorgeous now. I haven't been. It is beautiful, but it is also like intense. Mm. Um, so I, I never really knew that I had that sort of crunchy granola hippie community. Um, and it, it became really important to me to live around black people. I spent some time on 26th and 3rd. And that, that would, I would say, was my most intense white like, time in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, and just being completely saturated. <laughs> Can I just call it a white period? Yes, that was my white period. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I tried East Harlem, and I just didn't feel, I, I didn't feel like, like I belonged, like my soul locked in. And then I moved, and I tried West Harlem, and I kind of felt the same way I used to live. I, I did have a beautiful street. I used to live on Convent Avenue, like overlooking City Park. Beautiful. But I still didn't feel the way I felt until I moved to Central Harlem. And then I was like. It's a different vibe in Central I was like, Harlem. yep. This, I was like, period. Um, also, the streets are wider. Like it's The like, streets are wider. Also, it's generationally black. Yeah. Like that is. And I feel the like ancestor spirits of the Harlem Renaissance. Like I feel all of that when I'm in Central Harlem. And in my building, there have been so many famous black people that have lived in my building, like um, musicians. And I uh, was talking to my neighbor who is in his, I think he's like 80, almost, he might be turned 90 this year. Like that's the level of, my neighbor's incredible. Um, yeah. And he was telling me he used to live across the street in the Lincoln Projects and his hustle that he had with his brothers and sisters was like going to bed at nine, waking up at three and helping um, all the actors and musicians into the apartment like after a night of partying to like uh, get tips and make money. And they used to do the red carpet like outside of my building and then um, they would take all the no pictures. Yeah, they take all the pictures and then they go to the Apollo and perform. It's like a really magical place. I will say that's another thing. People, I one of my pet peeves is people who are like New Yorkers don't talk to their neighbors and sort of make it like a personality trait. And and I'm like, that's a that's a white gentrifier thing. Yes, like, I was about to say like, that is a white gentrifying thing. It's like not because it's not true. Like when I lived in the Heights, like I knew Florence, my neighbor. She was mm -hmm. like old and like she would 
oh my God, we got bed bugs once. And so we had mm-hmm. to put all the furniture and she was like, do you have fucking bed bugs? Lost her mind on me. I was like, Flo, I'm really sorry. Like, it's, I didn't try to do this intentionally. Like, yeah. but it's, I mean, like you do, you can know your neighbors. And in fact, I think it is intrinsically old school New York to know not just the people in your building, but it's like- It's important. It's important. I, I know my neighbors. I love my neighbors. Um, and not just my building. Like I know people all over- The block. All over Harlem, yeah. like uh, one of my and some of my closest friends in Harlem are black women over sixty. Amazing! They also make the best edibles. It makes <laughs> <laughs> they make the best edibles. I wait. Pu- okay, put a pin in that because I do want to transition to talking about that in a mm-hmm. second. But I, w- I was gonna say that it just makes sense because we've talked about this in the for- like your pull between Harlem and Brooklyn is just like I want to yeah. say that I really see it for you. Like yeah. I see that for you because it's really hard I'm sure because yeah. that the yeah. roots there are so deep but then you are having this pull to Brooklyn yeah the the pull to Brooklyn is strong there's also a pull to the west coast and I am just I'm ignoring that yeah <laughs> I well I have decided to just be in a place where I'm open to um flexibility and I am open and willing to be surprised yep uh, which before I was very much like, I want to be in this apartment forever. I love this apartment. I want to be in this neighborhood forever. This is the view I want to wake up to every morning. And now I'm I'm open to change. To so change. we'll see where, yeah. where I end up. Okay. I will be following you wherever. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you, okay, so we, you mentioned that the women, your friends in Harlem make the best edibles. Mm-hmm. Weed versus booze. Weed. Always. <sighs> Not always, but I, I mean, I'm always going to pick a plant. Yep. But there are plants that make alcohol like mezcal and the agave plant is incredible. I would say in terms of the feeling that I like more, I just, I'd rather be stoned than drunk, Mm -hmm. but I love a good drink like one of my favorite bars, I think it's called Apothic, which is in yep. like this is, we just talked about this on another episode. Like the unnamed bar, like any sort of Yeah, on Pell Street. Yes. Any sort of apothecary type cocktail mag like that is magic. And yeah. there are um actually my best friend, his wife, I call her a drink witch because she um has these like herbal tinctures that she makes from plants in her like generational family garden in Macedonia and makes these cocktails that are Jesus. yeah like insane. Yeah, so, I mean that's witchcraft. Full yeah, witchcraft. Witch, witchcraft. And I appreciate I appreciate a good cocktail or like Ode to Babel. Have you ever been there? I actually this is incredibly topical. Mm-hmm. My friend, my friend, my boy, one of my boyfriend's good friends who is my friend, mm-hmm. texted. <laughs> I was like, I'm having my birthday party here. Mm-hmm. And I was the first to arrive. Mm-hmm. This is a white woman from Brooklyn, Mass- Brookline, Massachusetts. A white woman had... And this is the thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I was like, you can't have your birthday party here. We're finding a new location. <sighs> she was having like 15 people come. And I was like, I think this is an invasion of this space. Yeah, I... Okay. Am I, was I wrong for that? Here's here's the, here's the like, the, the line. Like, I, I understand the instinct, but I'm also like... Get money. Okay, so I when when I tell you I sat in this bar for like because I was also early and they were late. 
Mm-hmm. So I was in there for like 15, 20 minutes, like really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like looking and I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, it's money. Mm-hmm. It will completely change the vibe of this room. Like 15 white women showing up. That is that is the thing. Like and I how don't... you act when you are in those spaces and taking over those spaces. Because there's some people that I'm like, bitch, you'll never act right. Please leave. I And like, <laughs> I, like my friends would have been well behaved, but I was, it was purely an, and like well behaved, but also culture when, I don't even know that that's like the correct language to use, but I was just like, this is people will have to move tables. It will take up most of the space in this. Cause it's also not a huge, yeah, it's bar. a very small place. I was like, is that appropriate for tonight? Like if it was dead and I got the sense that this is predominantly a black space, that might be different. Like, but like it would have, I think there would have been a situation where people were showing up and would have been like, not tonight now because these people are here and they've <laughs> taken up four tables. Yeah. Fair. Like I, I definitely think that, I if I was there and I saw that happening, I'd be like, oh, but uh, I don't know. This is where I feel like life is not one or the other. Yeah. And there's a world where I didn't make that call. Uh-huh. And we had a wonderful night and really connected with everyone there. And uh-huh. like maybe I robbed everyone of that. That's, yeah. And we'll never know. Yeah. I also think that like blackness and that space is like undeniable and it. When the institution is there, the roots, the history, like, you can't really rob that. So even there's a part of me that's like, okay, so 10 white people show up to Ode to Babel. It's a black space first. It'll always be a black space. And that vibe will always prevail yep. no matter what the fuck is going on. Yep. Because we'll, we will do what needs to be done. <laughs> so either you can get with the program or you totally. can leave. And I do think that that space has that, like, get with the program or leave. So... Maybe for next time. And also, you, I I very much felt the energy of get with the program or leave. And I think I thought, I don't know that they're going to get with the program. So that's we're going to leave. And that is. I think that's what it was. I'm not joking. Like, I was like, I think they're coming. I think that's a good call. Then. Yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think I was like, this is not a good marriage. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of other bars around here where we can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But shout out to Ode to Babel. It's beautiful. I love that space. Um. And there's a really good plant store right around the corner. Natty Garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, we should go to Natty Garden together. Oh, I love that place. Yeah. I love the guy that runs it. He, well, I haven't been in a while, but I think it was before everyone got super, super addicted to plants. He would always give me really good deals and let me take the plants that maybe were like infested or having a hard time because I knew how to heal. Yeah. Get them back. And he'd like sometimes give me them for free or like severely discounted, Oh, nice. which I always appreciate. Like shop plant shop owners that are like yeah, well yeah because they care out the plants before the business probably mm-hmm. a little bit which is mm-hmm. challenging. What um, what cocktails do you like? You mentioned mezcal. I love any sort of smoky cocktail. Love 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 love. I love prosecco. I love champagne. The greatest. Um. I love lambrusco. That's not really a cocktail, but I love lambrusco. Um. I hope I'm saying that right. You are, Lambrusco. Oh, and orange wine. Love orange wine. Orange wine's delish. Um, we need to have a date night because we're yes. really we're really synced in a lot of yes. ways. Yes, <laughs> we are very synced in a lot of ways, and it's always we just are. us right after a comedy show, like data dumping. Dr- <laughs> yes, and just data dumping. Well, I heard I this it. and just gossip. Well, I love seeing you too because I know I'm going to get the real shit. Like. Yeah. 
we were on a show recently where we were, I was, there was like other people on the show and I was like, the second everyone else leaves the green room, I have so much I need to say to Jessica. I know, I was literally like, <laughs> like trying to shoo, shoo everyone out. And then I, someone was like, I'm gonna go get ready. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> That's, um, I love those, those, and our relationship is very valuable to me because it's rare. Most of the time people will keep their, like they won't talk because it's considered like talking shit, but it's so valuable. And it's also, it's never like, it's also never like, I want, I don't want people who like know us who are listening to this thinking that like we're talking behind their back, like that outfit was this. It's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's one, it's not that surface or vapid. No. It's more like, it's like, just like what's, what have you been dealing with in life right yes. recently? What's going on? What's this? Did what are you, you Did know this, I mean? is this person also acting terrible at shows that you're on? Yeah. Is this like producer also not paying anyone? Uh, I actually, that was a conversation I had with somebody else, but um, okay, well, I'm going to need information after this yeah. recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's so valuable for, for me. And I was, I was on a show like a bell house show kind of like in the lull of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but not quite at the height. And it had a ton of names. I won't name them. But it was, I was so relieved because everyone in the room was just willing to quote unquote talk shit. Yeah. Say like this production company doesn't pay, like these people don't pay that well when you develop shows with them or the most valuable part of the conversation that they were having is just that um, nobody tells you once you like break into the industry that we all think, okay, all I need is one like good job. That's not the truth. You need like th your first three. You're not going to start making any sort of money or like be upright again, unless you're generationally wealthy, which is a lot to unpack, but not what we're talking about right now. But when you, you won't start making really money or be really good money or be upright again until after your like third job. And that's why it's so valuable to be like staffed because it's the most consistent paycheck that you can get and also gives you the best health insurance versus having to do SAG health insurance. And there was a time when I was coming up that people weren't even willing to, like, they're like, don't talk about money. Don't talk about health insurance. Don't, like, I grew up hearing adults all the time being like, never talk about money. Yeah, same. Never tell people what you get My paid. family is still kind of that way. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I would not have known how fucked I was gonna be after I did my first pilot if it wasn't for, shout out to Taylor Ortega, literally breaking it the fuck down for me. Yeah. And this is like, again, all these things are considered like talking shit. And this reminds me of like what you were like this, when you were like, you were talking earlier about like your Gansevoort days. Mm -hmm. And like my version of that was when I first moved to New York and like going out with all the people I was meeting at UCB. Mm -hmm. And I was the the poorest I've ever been. Like yes. there was like a period where I was like living off of dollar pizza. And when I say like yeah. living off of dollar pizza, I meant, I mean like I would wake up and like look at my bank account, look at my food and be like, I'm getting two slices of dollar pizza today. Yes. Like, yes. And like, I would go out with these people and like not sometimes get waters or whatever. And I was like, how are, I don't understand how everyone's affording this. I must be fucking up. I thought it was my fault for years. Right. And then I was like, Oh, your dad made what? Yeah. Your mom does what? And yeah. then it was like, oh, this is like the card. And then you start to realize, and this is, and, and they're all hiding it because you have to hide. Cause, and that's when I realized like the insidiousness of don't talk about money. Yes. Is, it is coming from 
the top. And that, that's what I mean when all of these things are systemic. It's the way we they keep us divided, not realizing. Like, I have seen twice now because of people's transparency about getting paid what they get paid. We've I've seen, I mean, $30,000 paid gaps from people who have equal jobs, equal roles yeah. on a show. But one is a straight white man. Yeah. Um, okay, construction. Uh, it's <laughs> important. It so it's so 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 important to be transparent about money, and and that's like one of the when I I talk a lot on the show about like how much I love going out, mm-hmm. and I think part of why I love going out is it is the space in which I have these conversations. Mm-hmm. When I'm like sitting down with someone, like I see people at like, like I love parties. I love like a big group at a bar, but mm-hmm. like my favorite is like one to four people going yes. for drinks because yes. you're connecting and you're talking and you're, you're sharing information and you're deepening your relationships. And by, and you're, but you're also deepening your network of mm-hmm. like channels by which you're going to learn things like get information, mm-hmm. figure out your place in, where you like where you live community based where you how you're working network based and like your social circles like yeah. all of that is deepened by doing this yeah i it yeah talking about money is so 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 important and it's yeah i i, I don't know if i <laughs> have any other words to articulate other than it's so important and i i've learned so much about um, the industry, uh, just based on how people get paid, yeah, and what kind of jobs I want to go after, based on how they're paid, and also another extension of like the oppressive, the oppressive notion of like don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. It's like you can be critical of capitalism, you can be critical of like these systems of how toxic the rich is, the have and have nots, and still try to go after what you need, like go after it for yourself because like. You like don't put yourself on the cross to prevent. Yeah, I I do think that, and this is what I mean when I'm see a lot of people posting like infographs or posting anti capitalism and all all this other rhetoric. But you you are an anti capitalist, but you won't tell your counterpart employee how much money you're getting paid. Like this shit doesn't add up. You're anti racist, but you treat the one black person in your office like shit. Like, or are you not willing to say something to someone because you're afraid that you're not going to get the gig because of it? Like, exactly, do you know what I mean? And that's exactly. And well, th- and this is what I tell a lot of people too. You have to, and to use a improv term, you have to come up with your own baseline of reality, your own fuck budget. Because if you don't define that for yourself, you're just going to get beat up everywhere you go by yeah. everyone in the industry. You'll be again, Know your shield, know your medicine wheel, know your weaknesses, because then they cannot be exploited. If you, like, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know how to stress that enough. Know what you're willing to walk away from. Like, I, I'm just going to be completely transparent. I did a, a pilot, and my initial offer to star in a pilot was $7,500. And if I didn't know what I knew from talking to other people, I would have taken it because a I it's money, right? Like I was unemployed. I don't I don't have anything, but I knew it was an insult, and I was willing to walk away 
from it all because of my values and what I need. And I knew if it couldn't come up from this price, then it wasn't for me. Um, and what fucking sucks about that is that it can come up from that price. So oh, why? Absolutely. So it's like they're ju- they're cutting a corner. And not only on did your I ignorance. know they're cutting a corner on their ignorance. It's also racist because I knew what what a white woman was offered with at the same level of experience that I had. Uh, what they were offered, like. I think six or five years before me and it was double. Yeah. Which is still kind of low. Which is still low. Yeah. And it's for what a pilot, like for what an, a pilot normally looks so like. So not only is it racist, it's also misogynistic and representative of how little the institution actually cares about creatives. hundred percent. Um, And yeah, like if I didn't know what I knew, I would have, taken that happily and just been like, well, this is exposure. I think we're taught a lot of times, like it's about exposure and connecting and networking. And it's like, nah, bitch, none of these people are doing any fucking favors. That's why you're doing shit for free because you're the one doing all the favors. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, 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 no. Don't do anything for free. Like don't do anything for free. Don't do anything for free and don't do anything for exposure. Thank you for being on my podcast. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I mean. No, I'm te- I'm teasing. <laughs> this is different. This is different. But like, I this is where I get fucked up. It's just like the the like w- the people before us, like what they've put up with. And this is why I'm excited for the future because I do really feel like there's a shift in narrative about what people are willing to put up with. But um, I mean, that's and and you get distracted by like accolades, right? Like the whole reason why. Um, I believe the academy was started was because the it was act- a distraction. Yes, the actors were trying to to unionize and be like these. This pay sucks. All and then it was like, but you'll get a shiny gold award. Yeah, and that is the origin of the Academy Awards. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah, lots to unpack there. But like, hello, if I get an Academy Award, I don't know. Oh yeah, Oscars <laughs> nominate us. Um, okay, because we still have a lot to unpack. Okay, you and I. I want us to plan our next night out. Okay, right now. Okay. We don't have to schedule it. We oh, okay. can. I meant the activity. Okay. <laughs> for the. Send you a Google invite. <laughs> um, <laughs> Imagine if I was like, I want the listeners to hear that we're going to meet on June twelfth, and then that's <laughs> it. No, let's plan like this, like how we want to like have our night go. Okay, I would love to do some sort of like vibey, like shared plate restaurant type of experience. And do you want? Do you want to do midpoint between Harlem and Brooklyn? Do you want to do Brooklyn? Do you want me to come to Harlem? Because I'll do one. Of, I'll do any of them. Oh, what kind of food do we want to eat? You like share plates, vibey? Yeah, I like. I'll do that too because uh-huh. I trust you. Uh huh. I'm not doing it with a picky person. I'll lose my mind. Oh my god! People are like, um, do you have chicken with no sauce? <laughs> I'm like, go home and learn how to fucking cook, you baby. So let's maybe do somewhere. In the village. Okay. I when I when I'm meeting someone who lives uptown, village is my first get point. Because okay. I'm like, we're both gonna get there quick. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe east side, you're off the four five. No, I mean I'm off the two three, but I the four five is easy. Mm, if we stay out late though, I don't like coming back late on the four five. Um, I could do Soho. Soho. That could be interesting for oh, us. Oh, but that could be like super expensive. But also not. 
Well, I'm also thinking we can start. Why don't we do? Because I feel like there's better small plate food options, East Village, and then okay. let's go over to Walkover. Wait, you small plates, and you mentioned Appletech. Why aren't we just going to Chinatown? Period. That's where we should go, right? Yeah, Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll go over. Here's what we'll do. Oh my god. Okay, I have soup dumplings. Is it gonna yeah. be too hot? But I love soup dumplings. Well, no, just we'll go somewhere with AC. I don't care. Okay, 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 okay. We'll do soup dumplings. We'll do small plates in mm -hmm. Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Maybe Joe Shanghai. They're mm, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apotech. Okay. I don't know Apotech. That's I think that's how you pronounce apothe like <gasps> a, a, a P O. I think it's Apotech is like Oops. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. But also I'm saying that not confidently. Yes, I would love to so go. So we'll there. go there. Yeah. And then I would love to head back west with you because then I can take the train home. Do you live off the two three? I can take Two three or the AC, but mainly the AC. But okay. I, so I can take you to two three, and then I'll take my train home. Okay, from there. great. Also, I can take the C home f just fine. We love that you can take the C home. Mm -hmm. I love. And then I get off uh, 138th and like Saint Nick, and then I just walk over to Central Harlem. It's like ten minutes. Okay, and it's and a we, really pretty route. And we're not gonna let's be real. You and I, we're not gonna be out late. Late. Like I'm not. Yeah. 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 Well, like it will like wrap up around eleven at the latest. Uh, I love that because we're, <laughs> we're meeting what like seven thirty. Yeah. Or like six thirty, I can do. Yeah, that. let's do six thirty because yeah. there's gonna be time. I love a little like sunsetty um, walking on the streets, like downtown summer moment. <sighs> summer sunset. I literally, I was feeling like mentally weird mm -hmm. yesterday. It was like yesterday, the day before, I was having like a weird mental day, like not like crushingly bad. I just like felt off. Oh, the eclipse is in is ending, so that might have been like boop boop boop. Like yeah, the last little bumps. and Saturn's retrograding. Mercury's going direct. There's yeah, that's my the retrograde. The full moon's the next week. Yeah, so full moon's next week because so, that's when I'm getting my period. Yes, we're synced with the moon. <laughs> Congrats, that's huge. <laughs> but what I was going to say was I was feeling off all day. When I tell you the second the sun moved to where the sky starts to turn like lilac-y from bright mm -hmm, blue, mm -hmm. I'm something I can't explain it. My body, there's nothing in the world my body more viscerally reacts to than that. The second we enter the dusk hour of an, to two hours in summer. I'm okay. Yeah. It's so soothing to me. Yeah. So you're right. Let's get dinner right around then. Yep. And we're ideally somewhere with outdoor seating in that case. Yes. Perfect. Period. Period. And I also love that we're starting early because then we don't have to worry about getting anywhere in time to get in. Like, Apotex not going to be busy that early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right as it's getting crowded, we're heading back to the West Village for a nightcap before we get on the train. Yes. Exactly. Okay, perfect. Um, now we're going to off mic, get that on the calendar. Um, but thank you so much for doing the show, babe. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seesai. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to VinePair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. 